Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavrita, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachari Ruvim, daf tzadi tet. Page 99, we are in the home stretch. I know for some people this feels like it's not coming soon enough, and for others I'm sure that the challenge has been welcome. Um, but in any case, as Yerdena, as you are wont to say, the daf does not wait for us, so it is, you know, Carrying along, and we will soon be done with Masachadei please God. Really hard to believe, but exciting. Exciting. Um, if you haven't signed up for the for our Seum next Sunday, November 22nd, please do so. If you, ha- um, We already do have a good number of people who are going to be speaking. If you feel that you have missed the boat and want to make sure that you do speak, please be in touch with us as soon as possible. We want to make sure that everybody who has something they want to share will be able to do so. Um, and... I think that might be it for the announcements. Um, here we go in our daf. Now, this daf, page 99, Tet, has four Mishnayot. So I'm struck by the similarity to the end of Masachat Shabbat, where we saw the prakim, the chapters getting shorter and, and kind of more intense, faster, faster paced, I guess, is, is the way I would say it. And I feel like that's what's going on here as well where yesterday's daf had three Mishnayot, and here we've got four Mishnayot, and that means that, as I said yesterday, the Gemara is quite brief on each one of these Mishnayot. It also means that as we tackle the daf, we're not going to be able to do everything, even though there is some overlap and repetition, whatever, um, it's also, you know, each bit is a little bit new, and that means that we would have a much longer podcast where we to actually learn through the entirety of the daf. Um, that said, I want to talk a little bit about the continuation on from the Gemara on the mission that we talked about yesterday, Yardena, you talked about the idea that if a person is standing in one reshoot in the private domain, right, and he can't spit or piss, urinate into the public domain, right? So this goes on into the into the new daf, right? And um, again, I'm not going to read through all of it. Uh, there's really quite a lot, almost a full amud on just this continuation of the mission from yesterday. Um, but it, it says as follows: Lo yamod adam b'roshuri yachiv v'chule, amar Rav Yosef hishtin v'rak chayav chatat. If you were to urinate or to spit in this manner, then you are liable to bring a sin, sin offering, a korban chatat, meaning as if we were back in Masechet Shabbat. Somebody here has violated carrying, as it were, right transfer of of uh, something from one reshu to the next. But the Gemara, of course, is not so sanguine about that. We have always said that if you're going to have, if you're going to, not just if you're going to be prohibited from carrying, but if you're going to be actually liable, a chatat, a korban, a sacrifice, then you have to have two components for carrying, namely uprooting it from the one domain and resting it into the new domain. So obviously, you know, you spit, then the saliva lands, and that is called, you know, that is indeed called um, hanacha. The problem is that for akira, for the uprooting of it from the one place to happen, you have to actually have, you have to be in one place that is itself a domain of at least arba amot, right? And for 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 amot, right? So, and that's, um, I'm sorry, for tzvachim, not for amot. So that that's not, the Gemara says you don't have that here. So because you don't have that, you can't, you should not be saying that somebody would be liable korban in this case. And then the Gemara gets really intricate. The Gemara says, well, the fact that somebody has intent 
meaning in in performing this act right, which re requires some measure of concentration and aim right so then that should be enough to render the place where they are into a a location of significance as if they are in fact in a defined domain if you don't say that the that you could fulfill this criterion of having a specific domain, it's not just a matter of the physical location, right? It can also be because you have this intent. Because otherwise, what about that other case? Now, that other case is one, an example provided by Rava, that if a person threw an object and it lands in the mouth of a dog or in the mouth of a furnace, and of course, I'm thinking the mouth of a dog is quite much smaller than the mouth of a furnace, but okay. Then you're then you'd also be chayav achatat for this same reason for the transfer of from one domain to the next. And then the gemara says, but don't we need that? Don't we require it to come to rest on a place that is for its vachot? Um, again. Right, that the same way it has to have akira from Fort Tzvachot, it has to land in Fort Tzvachot, and that's not the case if it's landing in a dog's mouth. And again, the person's intent is what establishes the importance, let's say, of that location. And so too, right, the very fact that he's aiming for such a narrow place and making it is demonstrates that the transfer from one location to the next is sufficient, right? because his intent goes along with this. Now, the next bit is a little bit dicey, and I think that the Gemara itself, or the Chazal themselves, treated it and thought it was a little bit dicey as well, as we will see. By Rava. So Rava now asks the question. What happens if you have a man who is standing in Rishud Yachid, and he is poised to pish, to urinate, into Rishud Rabim to the extent that his penis is already in Rishud Rabim, and so Rav says, "Well, what's that case? Batar Akira Azlinan or Batar Azlinan? Are we paying attention to where the urine is in his body, right? Presumably his bladder, whatever internal, which is again it's still in Rishud Yachid, or we're going to follow the the literal location where the urine comes out of his body, which is already in Rishud Rabim." And the Gemara here concludes Teku. Teku is the Gemara's conclusion. I don't remember if we've talked about this at all. Um, Teku is the conclusion of, we don't know the answer to this. We're going to table the discussion. We're not going to come to a conclusion. And the mnemonic here is that it, um, it stands for Tishbi Yitaretz Kushiotu Bayot. That Tishbi, meaning Eliyahu Anavi, who is from Tishbi, right? He's also called Eliyahu Tishbi. You think of the words from Havdalah. Um, the idea that down the road, in the future, the Messiah will come and explain all of the conundrums of the Gemara that we don't have an answer to. And on the one hand, I think that this is a, a good place for Teku. And I think the part, I, perhaps I'm reading too much in here, but it seems to me that there's a measure of oh my goodness, this is an unpleasant discussion to think about, so we're going to say teku because we don't have an answer, we don't have a way to answer, and let's not dwell on this any longer, which I find to be interesting, especially because what happens in the next several paragraphs, or, or lines anyway, of the Gemara is a long discussion, which is comparable to this discussion about urinating, about spitting. But in the discussion about spitting, they don't come to a teku, they come to a whole, you know, devolved example of, 
who's got what opinion, it's the opposite of teku. And I, and I wonder if that's not because, you know, discussing spitting while not particularly graceful or pleasant is still an easier discussion. Hey, look, it's, again, very body conscious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think particularly the passage about the urine um, it is interesting, I think, sort of like, you know, I think on a certain level, they're really trying to think about, like, what is, how does urine function, right? Like, we know it's a waste product. So is it that, is it waste when it leaves the bladder, but it's still inside you? Or is it waste when it, like, actually leaves the body itself? So as, you know, and I think they're sort of trying to make the same distinction with spit as well. We know that it's sort of like in your mouth, but is it, just part of you because it's there or is it separate from you when it's just there or is it only separate from you when you sort of make uh you know when you do something within your mouth to actually separate it out and prepare it to actually be expunged from your body right and also this is the discussion of you know are you are you liable for carrying it right if you haven't yet if you are ready to spit but you haven't done so but you're walking now in Rashid Arabim does that count as as carrying right which i think is the you know kind of a it seems like an odd question like really we're going to take it that far um but on the other hand look we did see you know in masaka chabat that there were things about sort of not keeping things in your mouth or carrying you know like a peppercorn or i may not remembering exactly what it was you remember that well, like the example that- here the example here is a dried fig the vela right the Right. So, you know, so I think, it, you know, I guess sort of it's it's trying to see, like, what's the extension of that? How far can that actually go? Right. So this then takes me to the next part of the Gemara, which I thought was interesting. Interspersed in this page, which is really a pretty heavy, um, you know, sort of uh, Gemara-esque, you know, sort of trying to look at a halacha from every which angle. And that's really what's been happening these last few pages. We have this statement by Reish Lakish. I'm a Reish Lakish. Kiach bifnei rabo chayev mita. Somebody who expels phlegm in front of his Rebbe, right, is chayev mita. Right now, does that literally mean that? Or is it more of an expression of hyperbole to show how disgusting of an act, how disrespectful it is? And then they quote a pasuk from Mishle, Perkhe, Pasuk Lamed Vav, Shenemar, Kol Misane Ahabu Mavet, right? All they who hate me, meaning hate Hashem, love death. Al tikrai lemasnai, ela lemasniai, right? Don't read it as those who hate me. Rather, read it as those who make themselves hateful. In other words, they make themselves, they do something hateful. Now, it's interesting that the pasuk that it rests on doesn't even mention the word spit. It's sort of, um, I don't know, I think it's like a, it's a little hint, right? It's not like a, a an outward pasuk. We've seen some of those where they take the word and change it around. And it's not like the word means spit or something like that. Um, and then the Gemara says, right? The Gemara, I think, almost taken by like how harsh this is, says, nas anis, right? right? So it says, wait, but maybe he did this involuntarily, right? Like we've all had episodes where somebody coughed and you know, you spit phlegm up. And so the Gemara says, no, we're speaking when somebody had it in his mouth. In other words, he had the opportunity where he could have stepped outside and, you know, let's say uh, gotten rid of it in a much nicer way uh, or not in front of people and chose not to. 
Um, so I was thinking about this mission. And one of the things I mentioned to you when we were preparing this is, I think some of this comment of Rish Lakish is also sort of a reflection of the times that they lived in, right? Like the way you went to the bathroom, um, the way that garbage was dealt with, like it wasn't a clean society the way it is today. So, you know, I could actually see where someone wouldn't think that this was uncouth behavior. And so Rachel Lucky is just really coming to me like, this is kind of not something that we do in front of other people. But I don't I think, guess. You know, I, but but I, I don't like- think there were the same standards that there are today about some of these, about bodily functions, fluids, even the fact that the Gemara talks about the things that it does in such detail, you know, it, on the one hand, it shows you, I think, a piece of how enlightened in the way the Gemara is, or that the sense that halacha permeates every aspect of our bodies and our experiences as humans. But it also tells you something, you know, crassness isn't the right word, but just, I think it also tells you something about, right. There's like a certain earthiness, like to their experience of their day-to-day living. And I think that's more what Rish Lakish is commenting on. And yet I'm still taken by the fact that, you know, it was still a given to the extent that Rish Lakish can say like, Chayav mita that he's gonna, even even assuming hyperbole, right? The idea that spitting in front of your rebbe is going to be considered uncouth, right? And a, and this is an uncouthness that goes back to the time of the Gemara. So maybe it needed to be stated because it wasn't as much as a given as I I think we take it as a given today. I can't imagine in any setting I've ever been in that you know spitting in front of a teacher would have been considered acceptable behavior. In some settings, it might have been egregious, and some it just might have been inappropriate, right? But but I can't, I don't know, I, I don't think that that's even the kind of thing that we hear nowadays. Make sure not to go spitting in public. But but maybe it is. Maybe that is something that I, you know, I learned it so long ago, I don't think about it. Yeah, so it just, it's, it's striking to me sort of how... Um you know, how extreme this statement is and also that it needed to be said. Um, from there, I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah. And there's a bunch of Mishnahs here. So this is really a continuation of the previous Mishnah, right? The concept of a person is in one Rashut, but sort of doesn't act in a different Rashut. So a person shouldn't stand in a Rashut HaYachid and uh, drink water in Rashut HaRabim. The Rashut HaRabim, the Yishteb Rashut HaYachid. Or stand in a Rashud HaRabim and drink water from Rashud HaYachid. Really, most of the body should be in the place from which they're drinking, right? So if you're in a Rashud HaYachid, there's water in Rashud HaRabim, make sure to move yourself over to the Rashud HaRabim or vice versa. And then the Mishnah ends with this very curious word. This is also true of a wine press. Now, it's kind of curious because in other words, like, what do you mean this is true of a wine press? Like, first of all, how often would a wine press, I guess, be in right next to a Rashusa Rabim or, or you, know, net, the, you, you know, that it would be sort of at the intersection between a Rashusa Rabim and a Rashusa Yachid. And so therefore, the one in the discussion of this uh, Gemara, Abaye comes and says that the V'chein uh, Bagat um, is here. You know, he wants to say, Amar Abaye, Mena Aminala. So Abaye pays attention to this and, you know, sees that it's sort of an unusual set of words here. And he learns from, um, how does he learn the halacha? He wants to say that actually this would also be true about being next to a Carmelite, right? 
that a Carmelite next to Rosh Hashanah or Rosh Hashanah uh, this would be the same thing. And he says because of this thing about the wine press, the wine press is has to be in a Carmelite because I think he's explained he sees what the contradiction, like not the the problem with this Mishnah is, right? Where would a wine press be near a Rosh Hashanah with a Rosh Hashanah? And then Rava has a totally different explanation. But Rava Marli and Yan Master. No, Rava says this is coming to actually teach a completely different halacha, right? Which is what? It's about Maser. Right? And Rav Sheshet said, Rav Sheshet said the same thing. This wording of right? And what is this? What's this issue with Maser? It's not. And we learned uh, in, a, in a Mishnah. Shotin al-hagat bein b'chamin u'bein b'tzonein u'patur. Dibre Rabbi Meir. V'rabbi Eliezer b'tzadok m'chayev. So the question here is basically, let's say you have, you know, grape juice running through the wine press, right? And Maser hadn't been taken from yet. The tithe, right, that you had to take from it hadn't been taken yet. So according to Rabbi Meir, whether the juice was even diluted with some hot water, and that water, that, you know, wine or grape juice that was diluted with hot water, you wouldn't even be able to return it to the press, right? Or with cold water, which you could return to the press, you're patur because it's just considered to be like incidental drinking, right? You're just taking a quick drink of it. Where that's what Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Eliezer ben Sadok says, uh, no, you actually, you, you are chayav uh, because the master, the master should have been taken in those cases. The Chachamim say, no, you're only chayav in the case where it's been diluted with hot water. Um, but if it's with cold water, it's totally fine because that you can return back to the uh, wine press or to the vat. And it's very clear that it's really just drinking something um, not in sort of a formal way. And and, and it's just, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the, the English here in Safaria calls it incidental drinking, I guess, would be a, a good way to, to explain it. So it was interesting to me that uh, to see the Amorayim pick up that the Bechem Begat sort of just seems like tagged on there at the end. And it obviously signified something different. And I think Rava's explanation really speaks to the fact that Mishnah is sort of in an oral code, right? These were things that we memorized that sort of didn't give us a full pic, not with the words gave the full picture, but were meant to sort of trigger an understanding about something. And that's exactly what Rava does with his read of this Mishnah, right? When you read V'chaim Begat, there's nothing there that indicates to you that it's about Maser. Well, I think it's also interesting that it follows into the next, right? We've got two more Mishnayot here on this daf. Um, so the next one, which I don't know if we're, I don't know if you wanted to read inside, but it, it seems to be just, again, somebody who's like catching water um, from the gutter, right? Which is another kind of like, it's another physical structure and another kind of case of these bordering of, of boundaries between the right. Well, states. the question is the gutter itself, its own reshoot. That's really, that's, we're not going to read the mission inside, but that's essentially what the Gemara gets into a discussion about. But so I feel like we've got the gut and now we've got the gutter and then we've got the next Mishnah, which then talks about Borber Shudrabim and Ashbaber Shudrabim. So I feel like the gut is kind of like, not that the, not that the Mishnah was not cut at the right place, but it's as if there's like all these different, um, what do you want to call them? Like physical structures or physical locales that are going to come up following the Gat that are not in the same Mishnah because the Gemara inter- 
you know, is divided. It, the mission is divided and the Gemara intercedes, but it's kind of, you know, one case after another, after, after another, after another, if we were just learning the mission straight without any Gemara to interrupt it. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm not saying that the, I don't, I think that the Gat um, ends your Mishnah, exactly as you've described it. I just find it interesting that it kind of leads into these next, you know, additional physical structures going forward. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, right? Like, in other words, when you read the Mishnahs together, there's a certain flow of it. You know, the other thing, Anne and I, that you pointed out, and then I'll let you read that last Mishnah with the last comment there you wanted to make, is, you know, it almost seems like, in a way, the Gemara, at least, is sort of like, either it lost steam with a Reuben, or it's just, they sort of saved these Mishnayos for the last parak. Uh, and I think this is something we need to look at. I, I think I have seen this. Um, and you were like, I'm not as sure. But it generally tends to be the farther along in you get into a tractate, uh, the less sort of Gemara there is on each and every Mishnah. Um, and I don't know if it's that sort of the Mishnayos that needed more explanation were sort of put earlier in a parak. Maybe that explains something about why sometimes thing, things seem a little bit out of order or don't necessarily have a straightforward um, organization to them. But it's just interesting to see how we're sort of just going from Mishnah to Mishnah to Mishnah very quickly here. Right. I wonder if it's related, right? There's some Masechtot, I'm sorry, there's some Siddharim of Mishnah, right? Where the the longer Mishnah, the longer Siddharim of Mishnah are at the beginning and then they, you know, decline in, in order of chapters of Mishnah. I wonder if there isn't something to be said that at least in some Masechtot where you see the longer chunks of Mishnah, the longer chunks of the Gemara at the beginning, and then, you know, again, it kind of, the tail narrows as, as you get to the end. But I, I think we'll, we have ample opportunity going forward to kind of keep track of this, at least as a question. I just wanted to make mention of this third Mishnah on the daf. Um, it begins with Bor Bershut Rabim, right? The, if you've got a pit that's in the public domain, and this will take a lot of our attention once we get to Babakama, which is some time away. Um, but it, and here it's talking about gavoa asarat which is again part of the definition of what a, a pit in the public domain and if it's going to be damaging, right? Who's who is um, responsible for making sure that it is protected? And again, this is all in the category of babakama. In this case, we're talking about you. There's your board b'shurabim, and then chalon shal gabav memalina himenu b'shabbat. If you have a window above it. And now it's above, it's over the pit. Can you draw water from that pit? Maybe it's a well of some kind of cistern. Can you draw it up through that window on Shabbat? Because really your cistern, your pit is in Rashid Rabim and you are in Rashid Yachid with a window overlooking the Rashid Rabim. Can you pull up your bucket, let's say, and get your water? What, intri- what intrigued me here though about the second, the second half of this Mishnah is Ashbab Rashid Rabim. You have garbage or a garbage dump that's in a public domain, gavoa asarat svachim, and it's ten handbreadths high. Chalon she'agabav, you have a window up there. Shofchin l'tocha mayim b'shabbat. So it's kind of the opposite. Instead of pulling water up from the pit, you are pushing garbage or whatever out from your window. So the reason this caught my attention, and it's totally a personal story, I guess, as opposed, but it but it helps me understand this case a little bit better is that my son today had a little teal, a little hike. I think hike is maybe too big of a word when we were talking about six-year-olds. Um, and as on top of it, it was a rainy day. But they they went for a, a little walk 
um, in the neighborhood of Gilo in Jerusalem. And they, at some point it was really raining. So they stopped under some kind of awning and they were, you know, things were being explained to them, whatever, they're drinking tea, which is also a very Israeli young children type of thing to do. And afterwards, so I, sh and, and one of the administrators took video of this little scene. And when I showed my son this story, you know, the video of it afterwards, you know, he said to me, and over there, and he pointed to this kind of embankment, he said, that was a garbage dump. He said, that's where they would throw the garbage. And we looked in there and there was a lot of garbage in there. Now, obviously that means that it's still being used as garbage. And I don't think that this is one of the ancient ruins of Jerusalem. That's not the area where they were, but it also wasn't just crafted yesterday either, right? So this idea that there is, um, you know, next to the place where you might even have a private domain, or in this case, I guess it must've been a Carmelite because there was some there, you know, again, there's an awning and there's an area to sit and, and drink tea. Um, and then right next to it, you had, there was literally this, uh, I don't know, ravine, ravine again, too big of a word, an embankment that was surely ten fachim and where people were wont to throw their garbage. So I read this, then now I'm preparing, I read the Mishnah and I was all, you know, well, there it is. That's it exactly. You know, I don't have a good picture from, from my kids to you, but I would, I would include it if I did. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a very good real life example of that. <laughs> I actually <laughs> could picture that in my head for somebody who has a lot of trouble picturing uh, any of these things. But again, I think this mission in particular really was a very real life example. You know, people had to get rid of their garbage. And even the case before, people had to get water on Shabbat itself. There's no way you stored all your water in your house before Shabbat started. Right. And they have wastewater, which I'm not even talking about the urination issue that we've already seen in this stuff, but just the regular carrying out of Shabbat activities from within one's home. You know, there was plenty to dispose of. We have garbage now, you know, and we have sinks with drains. They didn't. Right. So this is the this is the mechanism. How do you get it out of your house? Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, we again, something we don't even think of. So I guess if there was an overall frame, this stuff really sort of showed me how different our life is today than the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara. I mean, I know that, but I think this really clues us into a lot of, you know, what their day-to-day -day life really was like. Right. I feel like these Mishnah were very, you know, very real. I, uh, very real, even to the extent that maybe even too real. I'm not sure how much this spitting from one reshoot to the next was really an issue. On the other hand, it's certainly very, uh, maybe very physical is better even than real. Yep, I, I, I hear that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgman website. Let us know what you thought about today's DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. Uh, please join us for our CMM Asakhari Ravine. So if you have not signed up, please do that. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Music.